Hey there, it's me, Malika. Today, I'm handing over the microphone to my Al Jazeera colleague, Josh Rushing. Enjoy, and I'll be back soon. I don't really like to think about what happens when you have a world where a certain cohort of people believe in a completely different reality than the other group of people. I think it's a scary thought. Ifa Gallagher has been tracking QAnon since the conspiracy movement's early days in 2017. Back then, QAnon was mostly found on the edges of the internet. That's where the core of the theory was formed. QAnon says President Donald Trump is saving the world from an elite cult of Satan-worshipping pedophiles. But it slowly moved off the French forums like 4chan and onto sites like Facebook and YouTube. And once the pandemic hit, interest spiked, even outside the U.S. QAnon conspiracy theories are spreading overseas. QAnon meint Feuerstein-Kettenage auch ob QAnon a quoi se prochirio. The deep state is the guachi di QAnon. La lettre Q sur s'affichait QAnon. Right now, the future of the conspiracy movement is up in the air. After the man it celebrated, former U.S. President Donald Trump, was voted out of office. QAnon is still considered a fringe movement, especially internationally, and it's hard to tell how many followers it has. But Eva says the stakes are high. Without being fear-mongering about it, I do think that the foundations of liberal democracies are at stake across the world. And that people should take the threat of QAnon seriously after watching some of its followers storm the U.S. Capitol last month. That should almost be enough for people to wake up and realize that there is power in these movements, as, as bizarre as most people think that they are, and as much as you think will never fall for them and it'll never happen. So how does an American conspiracy theory, like QAnon, find its footing internationally? I'm Josh Rushing, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Eva's a researcher at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. She spent a lot of time studying QAnon and its roots in the U.S. But last year, she noticed the conspiracy movement gaining traction in her home country of Ireland. She began to spot QAnon flyers at anti-lockdown protests. And I think the moment that really hit home for me was when there was a video that was going viral last year. You'll probably remember it. It was like all these cakes that looked like inanimate objects, but then you cut into them and it turned out that it was a cake. Do you, do you remember that video? Yeah, 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 yeah. Videos like this were a huge trend there for a minute. You know, people would take a knife to kind of ordinary, real-looking objects like a shoe, a houseplant, or maybe even another kind of food like pizza, and then slice it in half. And you realize the whole thing was actually just a, a decorated cake. So at the time, our Minister for Health was Simon Harris. He shared that video on Twitter and made a very offhanded comment like, oh, the pizza one is my favourite. And I was monitoring Irish QAnon groups at the time. They had taken a screenshot of this and in the comments they had decided because he had used the word pizza that Simon Harris was a member of the elite pedophile ring that, that, that QAnon's involved in. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, can you connect the dots there? How does saying I like the pizza one lead to one being accused of pedophilia. Yeah, I kind of forgot that part. So the link with pizza comes from Pizzagate. So Pizzagate is in a lot of ways a precursor to QAnon. And it was also a conspiracy theory movement that was born on the corners of the internet. So we're going to dive into some messy, confusing details of these conspiracy theories. Pizzagate, like QAnon, is both totally unfounded and pretty convoluted. It came about during the U.S. 2016 presidential campaign 
and alleged that Hillary Clinton and her staff were running a child trafficking ring out of a basement of a popular pizzeria. Now, it's worth noting here that this particular building in D.C. doesn't even have a basement. And it finally came to a head, unfortunately, in violence, like a lot of these movements do. Detectives say Edgar Welch told them he drove nearly 370 miles to self-investigate the bizarre conspiracy theory known as Pizzagate. What appears to be an utterly bogus story about child abuse promoted on the Internet. D.C. police say Welch fired at least one round into the restaurant floor with an AR-15 rifle. That didn't end in any injuries, but it certainly could have ended in injuries. So that was the precursor to QAnon. This idea that anyone mentioning things to do with pizza were pedophiles. And that's where this kind of reasoning came from, I suppose. That reasoning would be the central tenet of QAnon. The completely baseless belief that Donald Trump is combating the quote-unquote deep state. A cabal of satanic pedophiles who rule the world and drink the blood of children. QAnon began in the online forum 4chan in 2017. The truth is, it's more like a political cult built around a conspiracy theory and then crossed with a big book of word search puzzles. The user calls him or herself Q, a reference to the high-level U.S. security clearance. This anonymous poster, Q, was giving secret clues about the coming, quote, Great Awakening. QAnon may be new, but its conspiracies have deep historical roots. The interesting thing about QAnon and the world of conspiracy theories in general is that oftentimes there is nothing new under the sun. They tend to just regurgitate different versions of old, often extremely anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. When it comes to QAnon, there's two major tenets of it. The idea, number one, that there is a small, powerful group of individuals that are secretly controlling the world. Aoife says that the first part of that theory has its roots in the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. It's completely fake, but it was passed off as real. What it was alleged to be were the meeting notes that took place between Jewish elders where they discussed their plans for world domination. And this went on pretty much to form the basis for the crimes of the Holocaust. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion has been regurgitated throughout history to make it seem like there are small, powerful groups of people that have some kind of major control over massive world events. And QAnon incorporates that. And then the other element of that is that these people are involved in horrendous crimes against children. That also comes from an old anti-Semitic conspiracy theory called blood libel, That, again, has been around for centuries, and it was used to accuse Jewish people of murdering Christian children. The claim about a ruling elite of pedophiles is still at the heart of QAnon, but Aoife says things have changed quite a bit since 2017. I would describe QAnon as a digital cult more than a conspiracy theory movement at this stage. It's evolved over the years and the biggest evolution really came in 2020. And we did a research report in July of last year. And what we found was that in March of 2020, and it pretty much coincided perfectly for when lockdowns were, were coming in across the world, the increase in conversation about QAnon absolutely skyrocketed. And not all of that growth was in the U.S. What we also saw was that it was growing internationally. And essentially what QAnon became in 2020, as as much as the kind of core tenets of the conspiracy theory, the idea that Donald Trump is saving the world from an, an elite group of child trafficking pedophiles, that became a secondary element of it. And 
QAnon really just became a vehicle for any kind of disinformation. Eva says that other researchers found that Facebook was helping to fuel that vehicle. A recent internal investigation by Facebook exposed thousands of QAnon pages and groups that have millions of members and followers. Facebook groups have grown exponentially with QAnon, and the people are becoming more radicalized. In a lot of instances, people were being recommended QAnon groups. So they weren't exactly seeking out QAnon, but it was landing on their page because maybe they joined maybe an anti-lockdown group or a reopen group or something that wasn't necessarily linked to QAnon. But because QAnon started spreading COVID conspiracy theories, Facebook thought, okay, maybe this person would like to join a QAnon group. So yeah, they're not seeking it out, they're pushed towards it. QAnon believers found new ways to spread their message too. One strategy for growth, glomming onto other actually legitimate movements, such as the hashtag Save the Children. It was originally a fundraising appeal for the charity of the same name, but things, well, they morphed from there. The Save the Children movement was essentially a concerted effort by the QAnon community to spread their idea to a wider audience, but to incorporate a kind of more innocuous messaging. The thought process behind that is who doesn't want to save children? It's an easy one to get people's emotions going. And the kind of content that was being shared was what I would term QAnon light. It was a lot of stories, a lot of often true stories, maybe about child sex trafficking. And especially in the UK, there's been a history of this with things like Operation U-Tree. That was a British police investigation from a few years back that looked into sexual abuse allegations against some celebrities. It's a way of bombarding people with loads of stories about past instances of elites being involved in in child sexual abuse to make them think that this is something that is endemic and that it is everywhere and that everyone is doing it all the time. And it was a, a gateway really into the kind of more extreme elements of QAnon. In the U.S. in the last year, we've had over 90,000 men come forward and say they were sexually abused as Boy Scouts. Mm, yeah. But Eva says these conspiracy followers aren't looking at the actual cases or causes of child trafficking. In the world of QAnon, child trafficking pretty much involves one thing, and that is the idea that there are men in vans going around your neighborhood bundling your children in to take them away. When in reality, a lot of child trafficking cases come from people being homeless or people being addicted to drugs or runaways. The other thing is that I don't think anyone would ever deny that sex crimes against children are the worst crimes in the world. And that's the leverage that they use as well. It's kind of like, well, you're either with us or against us. And eventually you were either with them or against them offline too. There was a period in the summer of 2020 where the where rallies and movements under the Save the Children banner were pretty much widespread across certain countries in Europe and the US as well. So movements to end child trafficking might find a perch internationally. But why would people outside the US think Donald Trump would be fighting this cabal, especially given his own background? Jeffrey Epstein arrested and charged with sex trafficking, girls allegedly as young as 14. Before allegations surfaced, Trump saying he was, quote, a terrific guy, going on to say it is even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them are on the younger side. I asked Aoife why she thinks this American-centric message resonates abroad. QAnon really appeals to an anti-establishment and kind of anti-government sentiment, and that's present all over the world. And 
the kind of core ideas of QAnon, it's pretty easy to amend these slightly and make them into kind of localized conspiracy theories. And it's also the point that the far right across the world do tend to like Trump. They look up to Trump and they look up to the campaign that he built. And what I've seen kind of internationally is that it is in some ways a lot of far right groups that are pushing people into QAnon. And that would be kind of my idea of why I think this movement travels overseas. QAnon's potential overseas became more obvious when some of its followers tried to storm a national legislature last August, months before the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. Far-right groups and science deniers overwhelmed police and rushed the entrance to the German parliament, the Bundestag. Far-right extremists pushed through police lines to the top of the Reichstag steps. There was a really large anti-lockdown rally in Berlin. The marches attracted protesters from across the political spectrum. But for the first time on German streets, they included supporters of QAnon. This march in Berlin is mostly against coronavirus restrictions, but there are a lot of QAnon supporters here. And there were people from every kind of group involved in it, but certainly QAnon played a big element of it. And people might remember that a number of you know, people involved in that movement attempted to storm the Reichstag um, in Berlin, their Houses of Parliament. If you go outside of Europe, there was an incident in, in Canada last summer where a man tried to ram the gates of Justin Trudeau's house with a truck full of guns. A cursory glance at his social media also showed that he expressed belief in QAnon. Japan as well has also got a very kind of strong and unique QAnon movement too. But as I say, throughout the world, since the pandemic and around these kind of anti-lockdown protests, I think that people have seen QAnon kind of influence popping up within these movements internationally. That's the case in the Netherlands as well. We talked to Rudy Bauma, a reporter for the leading current affairs program on NOS, the Dutch state broadcaster. His expertise is on disinformation and conspiracy theories. Obviously, QAnon is a very American theory, but there seems to be a Dutch translation uh, of this theory. And in this theory, it's not the Democrats or the Hollywood stars who are forming the cabal, but it's, for instance, our royal family. The Netherlands has a couple of homegrown QAnon influencers. One is big internationally, but not domestically. So we've got this lady, her name is Jeanette Ossenbaard. She is not known to the majority of the Dutch people. She is a crop circle expert, according to herself. Hi, my name is Janet Ossebaert. I've been a crop circle researcher for 23 years. And she picked up on this whole QAnon conspiracy theory and made a, a documentary series called Fall Cabal. We, the people, woke up. That's one of the most widely viewed QAnon conspiracy films around the world. Using other means than the mainstream media, the QAnon started communicating it's with each other. It's quite horribly produced, to be honest. It, it doesn't look that well, but nevertheless, um, it's watched millions and millions of times around the world. To find each other and to spread news and findings. And then there's Longa Franz. He's a mainstream Dutch rapper. He became a conspiracy thinker in all kinds of ways, 9-11, etc., etc., and QAnon as well. And then he made this rap called Lockdown Falk Ball. Lange Frans, Benji up the beat. And this rap became a anthem for the QAnon movement in the Netherlands. Janet Ossobard and Longa Franz actually came together on his podcast last year, which created some controversy. 
they were fantasizing it might be possible that Donald Trump was coming to the Netherlands with his military and would um, move our prime minister from power. Then they said, well, it's probably not going to happen. Maybe he should be killed. They were uh, then saying, well, uh, I don't want to kill him because it, I want to keep my karma clean. So they were actually fantasizing a little bit about in what way uh, this prime minister should be killed or would be killed. And that obviously became a very large scandal in the Netherlands. Janet wasn't well known in the Netherlands at the time, but Lange France paid a price. When I confronted him in an interview, he uh, just said he was against child abuse and he was in favor of God-fearing people, but he didn't want to talk uh, about QAnon specifically. However, it's very clear that he's a supporter of QAnon. YouTube kicked him off their channel. So he is having a very hard time when it comes to uh, commercial and musical work. But his podcast is, is pretty popular in the Netherlands. Like some other countries, the Dutch also had their own Save the Children marches last year. And theirs also translated onto a local context. So in the Netherlands, there's this old political party. Obviously, it's not in parliament, but it's uh, called the Pedo Party by their opponents. And it's a party defending pedophilia in a way. To call this party fringe is an understatement. They were actually around about a decade ago, but disbanded because they couldn't get enough signatures to run for parliament. They decided to try again last year. It was the perfect storm for the QAnon movement. This party obviously means nothing because there's totally no support. So as we say in the Netherlands, it's a storm in a glass of water. But nevertheless, the QAnon supporters and the Save the Children supporters, which is not the same to me, obviously, there's an overlap, but it's not the same. They started to go out on the streets and it's just a few hundred people at a time, maybe even less. Rudy says people were legitimately angry about the party. But he also noticed something else while covering the protest. When I went to those rallies using the hashtag Save the Children, I discovered that a lot of people there not only are against this party, but also are very much into QAnon conspiracy theories, thinking there are elites of sacrificing children, trafficking children, abusing children, and drinking baby blood to stay young. This all sounds very outrageous, obviously, but the majority of the people I spoke uh, to at these rallies actually believe this. And that was kind of odd to me. Lately, there's been another type of protest in the Netherlands. Across the Netherlands, hundreds of people took to the streets to protest against the introduction of a curfew meant to help slow the spread of the coronavirus. Influenced by conspiracy theories on social media, some groups have increasingly lashed out against government policies and attacked the media. Far-right politicians have been accused of fueling these sentiments. Rudy says there's a mix of people coming together against the lockdown. You've got your far-right groups, you've got your conspiracy thinkers, you've got your neo-hippies who propagate love and hugging and are very much into... Um, objecting the fact that we have these one and a half meter measures uh, in place. And in between, you've got some entrepreneurs who don't make any money anymore and are very much disappointed in our government. So this is a strange mix of people. They're definitely not all conspiracy thinkers, but the common ground of all those groups is probably that they all detest um, the government, the health institutions, the media. But Rudy says that while the Save the Children marches last fall were small, but pretty cut and dry QAnon, these riots have been a bit different. The last few weeks during the riots, I also watched some online channels of these groups, and the common ground coming back and back again is they um, believe in a elite who is using uh, the coronavirus, the pandemic, which they don't believe in, as a cover-up to gain power. 
Uh, and that's something uh, a larger group of people believes. So this is probably much more accepted than the blood ranking theories. But you see that, let's say, the rhetoric of the QAnon conspiracy theory is, is dripping down in these groups. Eva saw something similar in her own country last month. I came across a, a network. It's a campaign that's been run across Ireland and the UK to try and get business owners to defy lockdown rules and open up their businesses. And the outset, it seems like a movement that's meant to give business owners hope and kind of make them think that there's something that they, that they can do about the fact that their businesses have been shut for nearly a year. But when you get into these movements, you realize that they are massively driven by conspiracy theories. These elements in Ireland are certainly being pushed by far-right activists. And they're doing that because far-right movements in general ultimately want to destroy the foundations of liberal democracies. And these conspiracy theories are very powerful at the moment because they are targeting people that are feeling very, very disaffected with how the past year has gone. I do think that... The COVID conspiracy theories are acting as such a gateway into these kinds of movements. And the far right is using a social media playbook that we've seen before. In Ireland, I always reckon that we're about five years behind what happens in the US, which thankfully gives us time to kind of nip things like this in the bud, hopefully, if we think that they're coming to this part of the world. But at the end of the day, people are constantly consuming US entertainment and US content. And that's the same with social media. The kind of meme culture that came out of you know, Donald Trump's election in 2016, where this kind of ironic sense of bigoted hatred actually flooded mainstream platforms in the run-up to the election. These are the same strategies and tactics that are being used by far-right elements overseas. The day after January 6th, I was looking through far-right groups across Europe and they were celebrating what had happened. They saw it as a victory in their kind of a movement as well. And almost like, well, if they could do that, we could do it too. Social media companies have had a variety of reactions to QAnon. Reddit banned its main QAnon channels in 2018. And Facebook and Twitter became serious about moving QAnon off its platforms last year. Twitter has taken aim at the conspiracy group QAnon, which is known for spreading baseless theories online. They will be permanently suspending accounts tweeting about these topics that we know are engaged in violations of their policies. But Eva says QAnon communities have adapted. They kind of stopped using a lot of like really direct QAnon language. So that means that although the communities and the groups and pages on Facebook have been removed and it is pretty difficult to find a QAnon Facebook group at the moment on the platform. But that doesn't mean that QAnon is gone. It's pretty much just been diluted and it's been filtered into every kind of conspiracy theory movement that is still on the platform. And there are plenty of conspiracy theory movements still on Facebook. As QAnon was moved off mainstream social networks, it also grew on some alternative platforms like Gab and Telegram. They don't have the same kind of policies around hate speech. Aoife says the bans on the big Facebook groups are a double-edged sword. There was a group removed of 100,000 people. You don't really think that 100,000 people are going to flock to a, a platform like Gab or Parler that is not very user-friendly at the end of the day. But there's also definitely the element of people that will, are not going to stop there. And that's the thing with QAnon is that it, it is a highly addictive movement. And so you run the risk of people joining these platforms where extremist content is rampant. And because they're already in the kind of conspiratorial mind frame, those kind of elements are like it's so much easier for those to take hold then. 
And that's what she's seen in the U.S., where QAnon is in a crisis after its predictions about Donald Trump's presidency failed to pan out. As America watched President Biden take the oath of office, QAnon followers were waiting for the Great Awakening. QAnon supporters said they believed there would be a coup on Inauguration Day. Well, now the QAnoners are desperate, disillusioned, some baffled. One posted this question, quote, we were promised arrests, exposures, military regime, classified documents. Where is it? There was definitely a higher number of people that were talking about leaving the movement because they had just been disappointed far too many times. But there's also the element that are going to double down. And with QAnon, you believe that there's a small, powerful elite group of people controlling the world. And unfortunately, it doesn't take that much for that belief system to turn into Jews control the world. And belief in one conspiracy theory normally means that you believe in more than one. And it just pretty much sends you into an an alternative reality where, as I say, everything that you thought you knew about the world is not really true. And what about internationally? Where do you see it going internationally? It's hard to judge where it'll go internationally, broadly. But I do think that no one should be taking these movements for granted anymore. No one should be thinking that, oh, just because QAnon's American and there's only a small number of people here that believe it, that they might think that it won't catch on. That was the mistake that was made in the years leading up to January 6th, to think that QAnon somehow wasn't going to have an effect on people's trust in their institutions. You know, if you know anyone, friends or family that you think are getting into these movements, just make sure you you talk to them, you reach out to them. We're at a moment now where we need to wake up and we really need to realise that don't take it for granted. Do something about it now before it becomes a bigger issue. And that's The Take. On Friday, we'll be speaking with a social psychologist who has some advice for talking to loved ones about conspiracy theories, whether they're related to QAnon or COVID. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliay with Dina Kesbe, Alexandra Locke, Priyanka Tilve, May Alvarez, Amy Walters, and me, Josh Rushing, and for Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer, Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer, and Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back Friday.